The title of my message this morning is this, How Can One Church Impact the World? We're in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. How can one church impact the world? So Scott started off with a little bit of a game. I'm going to start off with something of a game. Uh, What I'm doing is uh, I've got three mission statements. We're going to flash those up on the screen one at a time. So if you could pull my first one up, uh, Robbie. What company belongs to this mission statement? You're not supposed to say it. You put it on the slide. That's cheating. All right. Some of you didn't hear that. What company belongs to that mission statement? All of you heard that. Okay. Walmart. That's the softball. I'm tossing that one up there. Knock that one out of the park. All right. Next one, Robbie. A humanitarian organization led by volunteers and guided by its congressional charter will provide relief to victims of disasters and help people prevent, prepare for, and respond to emergencies. Red Cross. Cross. Very good. The American Red Cross. Very good. And then third, our vision is to be Earth's most uh, customer-centric company to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they might want to buy online. Man, y'all are good. Some consumers in here. Amazon. All right. So Walmart, Red Cross, and Amazon. Here's the simple fact. If you talk to anybody leading those companies, they will tell you this. Every successful organization, every successful organization has a mission statement. It is a carefully crafted, clearly communicated statement that does several things. It keeps the organization's vision out in front so we don't lose sight of what we're trying to do. It reminds the organization of why we exist And when there are decisions to be made along the way, it gives a guideline or a template to keep us on track. Now, here's what I would say to that. Churches ought to be no different. Churches ought to be no different. In fact, because we as a local church, we are God's plan A for taking the gospel to the world. There's no parachurch organization that Jesus died for. You ever thought about that? He died for the church, the big C, big C church, not the little C church. He died for the church. And because we as a local church have been entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ, which will outlast any product that you can find on Amazon, then we ought to pursue excellence at every turn as we seek to carry out the mission of Christ. You say, what is the mission of Christ? It's the command that Jesus gave before he ascended back to heaven. Scott referenced it this morning. It's a command. The great commission. The great command. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission to make disciples who make more disciples. So let me give you an example of a mission statement from a church that I follow their pastor on his blog and podcasts and Twitter and all that. The mission statement of Brainerd Baptist Church is this. Deliver, disciple, deploy. Deliver, disciple, deploy. So if you ask someone at Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, why does your church exist? They will tell you we exist for three purposes. To deliver people out of darkness from sin, Satan, and the world. To disciple them to maturity in Christ. And then to deploy them. To send them out. To deliver them out of death to life. To disciple them to maturity in Jesus Christ. And then to send them. To send them. 
to deploy them out to places of service for their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's what Brainerd is doing. In everything they do, they want to keep their mission at the forefront. They don't want to lose their way. They know why they exist, and they exist for this purpose and this purpose alone. Let me tell you what John MacArthur says here. He says, there's much truth in the humorous adage that some people make things happen, others watch things happen, while still others are left wondering what just happened. What is true of individuals, listen, is also true of churches. Some churches are, are dynamic, he says, aggressively reaching out with the gospel to make an impact on the world. Some know that God is moving in other churches, but wonder why their church is not experiencing that same kind of power. And third, MacArthur says, still others just barely exist, languishing while the spiritual and maybe the physical weeds grow. They make an impact on their members' social lives only. Mm. That hurts to read every time that I read it. When we turn to Acts chapter 13 in the church at Antioch, we meet a congregation of believers that God used mightily to make things happen. And under the leadership of Barnabas and Saul and some others we'll talk about, this congregation had a massive, far-reaching impact on the world and, listen, on us today. Even us who sit here today in 2017. So the question I want to address this morning is this. How can one church... Be used of God to reach the world. How can one church, one little C church, anywhere, any place, be used of God to reach and impact the world? The first thing we have to do is this. Remember our assignment. I helped with a, a memorial service for Mabel uh, yesterday. Mabel was an educator, lifelong educator, and she would get me if I said this. But I had a terrible tendency when I was in elementary school to forget my assignment. I would go home, mom and dad say, what's your homework? I don't know, I forgot. Why? Because I didn't write it down. But this novel thing, this big amazing idea happened. When my parents bought me this little 99 cent notebook and I began to write down my assignments, you know what I got better about doing? Completing my assignments. It's amazing, right? It's incredible. Rocket science. Write it down, you tend to remember it, and then you're able to do it. Well, that's what happens in Matthew 28. Before Jesus ascends back to heaven, he gives an assignment to his followers, to his disciples. They were not organized into a church as such yet. They were not even organized into a movement. This was just a meeting on a remote mountain. I mean, picture this, a meeting on a remote mountain. And Jesus calls his friends to him. Some say there was 11. Some say as many as 500. And Jesus is telling them, here's the one thing that I'm giving you to do. The one thing. You do this one thing and you're a success. You can do all the other things you want to that are good things. That's fine. Add those to your plate if you want to fill it up. But there's one thing to do that is best. And he said it is this. To make disciples. Say, what's a disciple? It's a person who follows Jesus. So we go, all of us in here who are believers in Christ, no one receives an exemption. Like my brother was trying to get out of jury duty the other day. And I've done jury duty. And I watch people in the courtroom, amazingly, they can come up with a million excuses on the spot. Oh, i got to go home and take care of my pet hamster because they're... No, you're staying. I mean, just all kinds of reasons trying to get out 
of this thing. We don't get any exemptions if we're a follower of Christ for making disciples. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for staff. It's not just for deacons. It's not just for ushers. It's not just for missionaries. It's for every single believer in Christ. But you know what happens in church life? It is so easy to get distracted, isn't it? I mean, I I do this at home. I I have four children at home, and I find myself feeding one when my wife's busy. I find myself feeding one, and then I look up, and another one's like, Dad, I need a Band-Aid, so I'm feeding, and and I get distracted, and all of a sudden, I forgot what I was doing 10 minutes ago. We do that in church life as well. And sometimes we pursue lesser things that don't have the spiritual fruit or the benefit for us as a church, or the community, or the world, or Christ most importantly. And we pursue what is lesser instead of what is best. And so church calendars can fill up with all kinds of activity. And we can have every single day of the week full of things that are going on. Good things. And church members find themselves inundated, covered up with untold numbers of committee meetings. And what can get set to the side? The one thing Jesus told us to do, to make disciples, to make disciples. When that happens, we as a church have begun to settle less for less instead of God's best. When we look at the church in Jerusalem, you know what they did? They made disciples in their town. They didn't go anywhere. They just made disciples in Jerusalem. And then when the Holy Spirit moved them out in Acts chapter 7 and 8, they began to make disciples in other places. So if we want to be successful in doing God's work, we have to remember our assignment. A carefully crafted, clearly communicated mission statement that we all understand and buy into can help us remember what it is we as a church and believers in Christ are called to do. Number two, a church's leadership sets the course for the whole congregation. A church's leadership sets the course For the whole congregation. If you look at Acts chapter 13, if you look at verses 1 through 5, every single commentary you consult on verse 1 will spend at least a half a page on the names in this list. Matter of fact, let's look at Acts 13. We have not read that together. And let's start there. Now's a good time. Verse 1. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who was a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. In this congregation, there were strong leaders. They were gifted by the Spirit. They had the natural ability to lead people. But when the Holy Spirit filled them and flooded their lives, it was like maximized. They were proven in their leadership. These men had been serving for a number of years, seven years before God had ever called them to go out. So who were these five? Let's look at number one. There was Barnabas. His real name is actually, does anybody know? Joseph? Joseph was his real name. He was nicknamed Barnabas because everywhere he went, he encouraged people. You know what the name Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. How would you like to be known for being an encouraging person? 
What if we were a church people that every, we said, you know what? We have to stop being Pleasant Gardens Baptist Church and we've got to become Barnabas Baptist Church because we're just a bunch of encouragers that encourage each other and encourage people in this community. Barnabas was actually the one that convinced the Christians to receive Saul as a brother in Christ. Second, we find Simeon. Simeon was a dark-skinned man, likely from Africa. Then we find Lucius, who was from Libya in North Africa. And then fourth, everybody loves this one right here, Menaean. Menaean, Luke tells us, was brought up in the court of the Herods, with Herod and Tippus. So he was a childhood friend of the Herod that you read about in the Gospels. And we would definitely agree here that God had some work to do on that one. Right? God takes this man out of Herod's court, out of his home. Some translations actually say he was a foster brother of Herod. And he is used in the book of Acts as a leader in the church to help the Gospel go forward. And then fifth, who do we find? Saul. Saul. We know about Saul, don't we? Saul was a former persecutor of Christians, a former prosecutor of Christians, had him dragged off in chains, committed to the courts, had people killed. And now he's become the very thing that he hated and he tried to snuff out. When you listen to this list of people, this is who God chose to lead this new movement called the church. It sounds like that TV show from the 80s. Does anybody remember the A-Team? Does anybody remember the A-Team? Mr. T? I remember the 18, I was 83, but I remember watching reruns in the early 90s, so let me have that one. So we got the A team of the New Testament leading this movement called the church, teaching the word of God, providing leadership, and giving guidance as they progress forward. Oswald Sanders says the Bible shows us that when God finds a person who is ready to lead, to commit to full discipleship, to take on responsibility for others. You know what God does, Sanders says? Uses that person to the limit. That's what God does with these five here. The church is growing. It is expanding. It's having to solve problems on the fly because they're growing so fast they don't know what to do with their group. So a little sports reference here for some of you. They weren't the fab five. These were the faithful five. They were faithful where they were, and God used them beyond their city. They were leading this church. So just a quick word of application to send along to you all. Every member here at this church, every regular attender at this church, who, is, who understands that right now we're seeking someone to fill a staff vacancy, you know what you ought to be doing daily? Praying for the person that's going to come into this position. Why? Because the church's leadership, pastors, deacons, so on, Sunday school teachers, all the way down, the choir, the, the church leadership sets the pace and the direction and the trajectory for the congregation. We ought to be in prayer for this at a critical juncture in our church's life. Number three, it is imperative, it is imperative that we as a congregation remain open. To the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is imperative that we as a church body, as people together, as we discuss things moving forward, as we make decisions, as we seek a candidate, that we remain open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 2. They were worshiping the Lord, they were fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart. 
consecrate, remove from your midst Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit was doing something new. How many times in the book of Psalms does it say, sing a new song? I'm about to do a new work. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We read that yesterday at Mabel's service. God is always doing something new. You know, one of the worst mistakes any church anywhere can do. Resist a movement of the Holy Spirit. Resist His influence. Resist His leadership. You know what Ephesians tells us not to do? Not to grieve the Holy Spirit. But later it says, walk in the Spirit. Live step by step. So you say, how do we do that? Here's how we do that. We humbly and patiently call on God to lead us, to guide us as one in unity, to move forward. And when God calls us to do something that at first may seem odd, at first it may seem new, it may seem different, you know what we say? We're open. We're open. If it doesn't contradict the Word of God, we're open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Look at what the Spirit says to the church in Antioch. Set apart two of your best five leaders to a work that I've called them. So there are five listed leaders. There were more, we're certain, in Jerusalem because the church had exploded. But these five, out of five, the Spirit says set apart 40%, if I'm doing my math correctly, set apart 40% of your leadership to a work that I have called them. When we look at that with human eyes, that makes absolutely zero sense. Absolutely make no sense to set apart your leadership and I'm going to send them away to do another work somewhere else. But is the Holy Spirit confined to one pew, to one room, to one county? Did the Spirit not hover over the face of the deep as God spoke the world through Christ into existence? I believe the scripture says it does. This looks self-defeating. This looks counterintuitive to send out your best leaders. But that's what the Spirit tells the church to do. What could the church have done? Nope. Nope. No way, God. No how. That doesn't make sense. We're not doing it. Forget it. And what would have happened? We don't know. Because that's not what they did. They remained open to the leadership of the Spirit. J.D. Greer recently wrote a book entitled Gaining by Losing. And it focuses on this idea of sending your best and your brightest to the work of God in other places. I want you to soak in a few of these quotes this morning. I think we'll see them on the screen. Are they up there? We have one? No? Okay, I'll read these. Listen. For those of us in the Western church... I think we are at a crucial decision point. Greer says this, I love seeing big audiences gather to hear the gospel. But if we want to reach the next generation, we're going to have to equip our people to reach them outside the church. Of the 40 miracles recorded in the book of Acts, 39 of them happened outside the walls of the church or the synagogue. Greer says this, if we want to be a sending church, you have to develop, listen to this, a process. You have to develop a process for producing leaders from within your ranks to prepare them and send them out. Without a process, it is unlikely you will move the leadership needle much in your church. As the old saying goes, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting what? Different results. 
He says a sending ministry always starts with a heart exam. Why? A sending ministry starts with a heart exam. Sending out people, sending out your resources, giving things away, oftentimes, Greer says this, competes with your church's bottom line. It doesn't benefit it. Seems counterintuitive, right? But if we attempt to live behind a white picket fence and we have a preservation mindset, we will fall back into decline mode. We will not move forward. We will not incline. We will not reach our community. We will not see people be saved if we are content to fall back and just protect. You don't see that in the New Testament. There's a forward-moving mentality. There's an openness to the Holy Spirit. Last one, Greer says, Blessing the community might certainly include growing a big church, but it may also mean giving away some of your resources. So here's the weighty part. God used this church at Antioch as the first congregation to catch a vision for world mission. At this point, all the other churches are doing exactly what Jesus said. He said, stay in the city, hang tight, I'm going to send you out. But that hasn't happened yet. But then the church at Antioch catches the vision and what happens? They send out Saul and Barnabas and they go and they reach places that the gospel never Went. How did they impact their world? By sending some of their very best. Not their least. Not their sick. Not their struggling. They sent some of their very best. And where did they come from? From within. They were discipled. And then they were deployed. Number four. The Spirit calls the servant. The church's job is to confirm that calling. The Spirit calls the servant. The church confirms the calling. Notice the order of how things are taking place. Who is this church focused on? Is anybody waiting around for Saul or Barnabas or Menaean or Lucius or, 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 or Simeon? Are they waiting around for those guys to do stuff? No. No. They're worshiping the Lord. They are some, some of your translations this morning will say worshiping to the Lord. They were ministering to the Lord. They were fasting, and as they were focused on Christ, completely devoted to Him, you know what the Spirit had in His hands, so to speak? Moldable clay. Moldable clay. You know what I found on my table the other day at home? Actually, it was under my table. (laughs) It was under my table. A a little round disc of fuchsia-colored Play-Doh. Right? I scrape up a lot of Play-Doh. I reached under there, I picked this thing up, and I look at it, and you know what it was beginning to do? Dry and crack and become good for nothing but the trash can. So where did I toss it? The trash can. What could I not do with it? I could not mold it. I could not shape it. I could not prepare it. If I wanted to make a bird's nest and little bird's eggs, because that's the only thing I know how to make other than a snake. If I wanted to do that, I couldn't. It was no good. It was worthless. The Holy Spirit here has moldable clay. So who called the servant? The Spirit. God the Spirit calls the servant. And what did the church do? Confirmed the calling of the servant. When they lay hands on Saul and Barnabas, they're not ordaining them. They've been serving in ministry already. This is an agreement. This is an identification. This is a we're sending you out because we believe in what you are going 
to do. The church's role was to confirm the calling. I'm going to lay my cards here on the table, so to speak, if you will, for a moment. I, I, I can't stand to hear someone say, I quit going to that church or this church or any church because I didn't get anything out of it. I quit going to this church because there was just nothing there for me. Many of you in this room have gone to church for many decades, and that was not your attitude. Generationally speaking, this is my millennial generation's attitude. What's in it for me? This is not Burger King. You hear me? This is not Burger King. We don't get to have it our way. Everything's not my way. Everything's not your way. You know whose way it is? It's his way and our way. And I have to lay aside my agendas and you have to lay aside your agendas and we have to minister to the Lord, worship the Lord, and seek Him in prayer. And heaven forbid we call a church fast to do it. I hear people say that. I stopped going there because I didn't like the so-and-so. I didn't like the way they turned the air on. I didn't like the way they turned the air off. I didn't like the way the guy stood up there without a tie. I didn't like the way he did this with his hands the whole time he was talking. Sorry. Talk to him. Church is more than a box that we check off because it's something we do because it's right. I'm in agreement with being here because it's the right thing. But don't just come because you're institutionally committed. Come because you're personally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we ought to be here. Not because the doors are open. That's not going to keep young people in the pews. That's not going to to deliver, disciple, and deploy anybody because we come here because somebody unlocked the doors and turned the lights on and turned the air off and turned the air on. We need to be here because we're committed to Jesus Christ. Before the throne of God, we have a perfect plea. You know who pleaded it for us? He's pleading for you right now if you're covered by His blood. Amen? You don't go to church to get something out of it. You know what I do every Sunday? I give it. And I walk out and I'm exhausted. And I have plans for what I want to do from 1 to 4.30. And I usually nap because I'm exhausted. Because I've thought and wrote and rewrote and thrown away and printed and copied and prayed and prayed and prayed and sitting here praying, preparing to come and give. You know what the church is? It's a body. It's not a fast food restaurant. We don't pull up in the course of one hour. I know it's 11.56. We don't pull up in one hour and ring up our order and we get to the window and the pastor goes, here you go. Here's what you wanted. That's what I'm here for. Sorry if I'm stepping on toes. But that's not my job. That's not your deacon's job. To make sure you have everything you want and everything fits your agenda. Because you know what? That's going to conflict with somebody else's agenda. If we're on his agenda and his timeline, you know what we'll do? We will come together. The Spirit will lead us and guide us. The Spirit calls, the church confirms. One more thing, i got to say this. A missionary is not a volunteer. They're not volunteering for a mission trip. Saul and Barnabas, the Hand family, are answering God's call in their lives. Listen, they're not going on a mission trip. 
They're enlisting themselves in the service of the Most High King. It's not an adventure. It's not a picture-taking thing. It's not an excursion. It's a sovereign calling from a sovereign king. That they're gonna, God's going to use them in Taiwan to reach people for Jesus Christ. And you know what we can do as a church? We can get behind them. We can get behind them and push them forward when they and their flesh want to fall back. We can push them forward. Pleasant Gardens Baptist Church can do that. Number five, the word of God is central to the work of God. Listen to verse four and five. They're sent out by the spirit. From there they sailed to Salamis. Verse five, what's the first thing they do when they get to Salamis? They proclaim the word. They proclaim the word of God. Without the proclamation of God's word from here and from out there, without it going forward, we are not truly doing the work of God. You know why? Because the word of God is central to the work of God. If I don't stand up here and open this book and tell you this is what this says to my understanding, I'm going to illustrate it, I'm going to help you apply it, and then we move on to the next text. If I don't do that, if I don't proclaim this, I'm not doing my job. The word of God is central, not secondary, not tertiary. It is central to who we are, to what we are doing, and we rally together around it. So listen to me. We can do all sorts of good things, and I love these things. Listen, this is no, I'm not knocking these. I'm not knocking them. So no emails, no letters. We can build ramps. We can stock food pantries. We can deliver firewood. We can visit shut-ins. We can run an intern program to start community missions. We can have an after-school program. That's what our church is doing right now. Isn't that awesome? That's great. That's great. But if we don't bring the Word of God to bear in these various activities, listen to me, we are only doing a part of what God has called us to do. Part of it. Give out that cup of cold water. Run that after-school program. Send missionaries to Taiwan, but tell people, goodness gracious, tell somebody why you're doing it. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has saved me. He has raised me from the deadness of my sin and called me to serve Him and love Him and give everything I have to Him. I'm going to start preaching. Our mission is the salvation of souls that are eternal, not just the rebuilding of homes That are temporal. We exist as a church for the salvation of eternal souls that will never die. That will spend eternity either in heaven or apart from Christ in hell because they never knew him. Does that move your heart? I hope it does. I hope it moves you to a place where you hit your knees tonight and say, Oh Lord, I know so and so and they're unsaved. They don't know Christ. Save them. Move. Holy Spirit, do something powerful. Use me. Move me out of my comfort zone. If that has to happen. The Word of God is central to the work of God. So what do we do here at Pleasant Gardens Baptist Church? We partner with the work. We partner with the work of God-called missionaries as God sends them out. We have an opportunity We have had missionaries in residence, so to speak, for eight, nine, ten months now that have been living right over there. 
And they've been serving and giving and involved. And, and, and they're excited about They love this congregation. I've heard story after story after story. Oh, man, you should have seen them cleaning that house. Listen, some of you went and cleaned the parsonage for this missionary family while they were out of town. Awesome, man. Awesome. That's great. That's wonderful. That's a way to get behind them. But we have a chance now with them preparing to go overseas for at least two years. We won't see them for another two years likely to get behind them. How can we do that? Let me give you three ways quickly. I'll just list these. Number one, they have prayer cards that are going to be given out. When they give out these prayer cards, don't shove it in the back of your Bible. Don't stick it under your bed. Put it on your fridge. Lead your children. Lead your grandchildren. Lead your neighbors. The kids who visit after school. Say, hey, let's pray for them. Let's pray for them. Number two, we can give faithfully and even expand our giving to the cooperative program and the Lottie Moon Mission offerings. These offerings go towards helping missionaries overseas. Pray about that as a church. Pray about what God would have us to give to the cooperative program. Pray about what God would have us to give to Lottie Moon. And then third, Scott and I have been talking for the last few weeks about a partnership. Say, what does that mean? I don't fully understand it. He does. He's going to tell me a little more. But what it may mean is this. It may mean that they uh, communicate with us via Skype in our worship service. And they're getting ready to put their little family to bed. And we have prayer with them in a worship service. How awesome. What a great use of technology. It may mean that we put seven or eight of you on a plane and send you to Taiwan. And you get to use your building skills or your gift of gab if you have that. Or whatever it is that you have to serve the Lord in Taiwan. We may take some trips. There's a number of things that we can do to get behind this family. So here's how we're going to close our service. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And as you lay your hands on someone right around you this morning. Don't you just in your own heart, in your own mind, be whispering a prayer up to the Lord as we prepare to send them out to the mission field to do the work that God has called them to do in His goodness, in His power, in His will. Let's pray together.